James chapter 5, 13 through 20. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again. And heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father, we ask this morning that you would give us ears to hear, a heart to understand, Spirit of God, that you would move in us to become a people of prayer. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen, you may be seated. So I wanna start, I wanna ask you, help me out here in uh, kids, as well as adults, and if, you're, if this is the first time you are, have been with us, uh, w- the way we kind of preach is we do preach exegetically, meaning that we go through books of the Bible, often line by line, verse by verse, but we also believe that part of our learning and how the Spirit moves is that we dialogue. And so I might ask questions, and I do want your feedback from that, and so kids, you're invited to join when I ask those questions as well. So I wanna start this morning asking the question, What is prayer? How would you define it? Just shout it out. What's prayer? Conversation with God. Yeah, great. Other thoughts? Petition, what do you mean? Just, that's a big word. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, request. Ask, come to God. Conversation with God and request, right? Asking God, God, would you do this, right? Yeah, on behalf of somebody else sometimes, sure. Yeah, perfect. And thanks, because I didn't know what the word meant, so I needed your do that. Summer. Totally, dude. Yeah, right on. I see you behind the clipboard there. That's great. Yeah, so th- saying thanks to God. Yeah, one, one other one? Spiritual formation in what way? Great. 
Great. So, so prayer is not only, obviously it's conversation with God, it's petitioning, asking God for certain things uh, for behalf of not only ourselves, for others. It's giving praise and thanks, as Gavin said, and it's also being formed by God's spirit as we come and pray, right? And every single one of those are super right. It's great. And as we kind of work through this today, um, we'll hopefully see that prayer is all of that and even more. I like how uh, the South African pastor, no longer with us today, uh, but a guy by the name of Andrew Murray wrote one of the best books you will ever write or you will ever read on prayer. But he said that prayer is the spiritual pulse of our lives. Prayer is the spiritual pulse of our lives. And if prayer is a conversation with God, we know that that's super important, that it really does need to be the pulse of our life, right? And everything that we've been learning throughout this letter as we talk about what it means to have faith in the flesh, that's what we kind of titled our series, Faith in the Flesh. In other words, how do we really live out our faith in the everyday stuff of life? We see that we cannot truly walk in God's ways and learn what it's like to be formed by God if we are not a people of prayer. And so this is the big idea. Kids, if you're following along on your sheet, the big idea this morning is that faith in the flesh means that we are living a life of prayer. Okay, pretty simple. Faith in the flesh means that we are living a life of prayer. And so there's a, a few things that I've seen in this text that we're gonna work through this morning that kind of tells us what prayer is like and how, how do we live this life of prayer. And so as we learn what prayer is and what James is teaching, there's five things that I found in this text. So we got a slide to kind of work us through here that we see that prayer is all, is for all of our life. Prayer is for all of our life. Prayer is continual. Prayer is confident. Prayer is for the imperfect. And prayer is missional. And we'll go ahead and leave that up there and we're gonna kind of work through those. So the very first one, prayer is for all of life. Look at verse 13 again that James writes. And he says, is anyone among you suffering? What's the response? Pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. And so what James is doing is he's using two ends of the spectrum of our entire lives, right? It's like you could be suffering or you could be over here really cheerful. Okay, and suffering here that James is talking about could be any sort of affliction. It's not just uh, being physically ill, although that's the context of this passage this morning. But the word can mean any sort of affliction. So it could be physically ill, or it may be just you're discouraged. You're bummed out. You're feeling down and depressed. And the response, James says, is you're feeling that way, you need to pray. Have that conversation with God. Give him that praise, be shaped by him, come and petition and ask him, help me. And then James says, if you're not suffering and instead you have this heart of cheerfulness, it's this uh, feeling joyful inside, what's the response? It's to sing praise. And it's really what Gavin had just shared just a couple minutes ago, right? It's to give thanks to God. Literally what that word means is let him sing a psalm. 
Let him sing the psalm. And this is the great thing. Kids, do you know in adults that when we sing praises, this is prayer. So kids, when you go and you sing on Sunday mornings in your class, and as we sing here, family, on a Sunday morning, this is prayer. This is conversation to God. This is petitioning God to do what he will do. It's to declare who he is and what he has done. So James is saying that in all of life, every single circumstance, good or bad, in suffering or in cheerfulness, whatever, and anywhere else on that spectrum, the response is prayer and praise, prayer and praise, that a life of living out our faith in God means that we live a life of prayer and praise. And so prayer is for all of life. It was John Calvin, who was the French reformer, who said that in all of our life, there's no time in which God doesn't invite us to himself. Isn't that cool? There's no time in our lives in which God doesn't invite us to himself. Meaning, there's no time in our lives where God doesn't say, come and pray. Come and be with me. And the good and the bad. The apostle Paul said it differently in Ephesians 6.18 where he said, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So the idea, what does Paul mean by that? The idea is that no matter what is going on in your life, our response is to pray. And there is never a lack of things in which to pray for. That's what Paul's saying. In all circumstances, all kinds of requests, prayer is for all of our life. And because prayer is for all of our life, prayer has to be continual. It has to be continual in our lives. And when James is writing, if, let him pray if he's suffering. And when he says, let him sing praise if he's cheerful, the Greek of those verbs is, it's a, what, in the Greek, it's a continual action. It means that it's always happening. It's to pray constantly. It's to give praise constantly. That's what James is saying. And Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians that we're to pray continually. So does that mean that I schedule three to four times a day in which to pray? Maybe. Might be a good practice. I actually have an app on my phone that reminds me three times a day to pray. Okay, so that can happen, but that's not what James is talking about. It's not what Paul's talking about. The idea of a continual prayer life is that we have a posture of always coming to God no matter what's happening in our life. It's this posture of prayer. It's this attitude that I can do absolutely nothing without God. I need him for everything, whether I'm suffering or whether I'm cheerful. God, I need you. I need to be in this constant conversation with you. Prayer is for all of life. Prayer is continual, and we need to have that. And so whatever we do, God is calling us, pray, come to me, be with me. And one of the reasons that we can do that is because we know that we can have constant confidence in who God is and who we're praying to and what he's done. So prayer is not only all for life, prayer is continual, but prayer is also confident. And it's, 
this what confidence is what leads James to write in verse 14. Look what he says. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And that's the key. In the name of the Lord is where we get our confidence in prayer. And so in this passage, there, there's somebody who is his, actually physically ill and, and the power and the confidence of prayer doesn't come from the elders that have been called upon to pray over the sick person. The confidence in prayer doesn't come from the oil that the elders are using and kind of what they used, uh, the oil had served two purposes in the time of the Bible that James is writing in the story. Uh, one, it was a medicinal use, that they actually used olive oil for, uh, as their way of medicine. It cleansed. Uh, they believed that oil would also um, help with infections, and so they would pour it over their body. Sometimes they would ingest it. But that wasn't the only reason. That oil was also poured over people because it was an outward sign of an inward encouragement that God was at work and that God actually wanted to bless and heal. And as important as that is, that's not where the confidence would come from. The confidence wouldn't even come from the prayer, whether the elders said the prayer right or the words that they used. No, 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 the confidence came that the prayer in faith was given in the name of the Lord. And so another way we can say that is praying in Jesus' name. You know, there's a reason, kids, why we do that. Number one, because Jesus said to. In John 14, he says, if you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. There's power and confidence in the name of the Lord. And to pray in the name of the Lord means that we're asking God to do what he will do, the way he wants to do it. It's asking God, do all things according to your will. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter six in the, the, the Lord's Prayer, which by the way, uh, we are going to, after Potluck Sunday next week, we're gonna take a six-week series where we are going to be going through the Lord's Prayer. And we as a church family, as Missio, we're gonna learn what it means to actually live a life of prayer. What did Jesus mean as he taught his disciples to pray this prayer? We're gonna learn that together. But Jesus in that prayer says this, as he's teaching his disciples, he said to be praying, Father, that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does Jesus mean by that? It means that, God, your ways are the ways that are supposed to triumph. The, your plans and your purposes, that's what we're praying for when we pray in the name of the Lord. That's what we pray for when we're praying in Jesus' name. And I had heard a while back, and this has always stayed with me, and this, I think this is super powerful, that prayer is the place where heaven and earth overlap. That prayer is the place where our present time and God's future time is overlapping together. 
I mean, use that and think of that in your imagination of what that means and how that can change your prayer life. That the, at that heaven, the place where God is and earth where we are overlapping together. This is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. And the power and the confidence comes when we realize that praying in the name of Jesus, that Jesus himself is the place where heaven and earth meet together. The God-man. And that triumphantly happened on the cross where Jesus hung and died for our sins. And prayer is confident because we can pray in Jesus' name. Why? Because Jesus is alive. That he is no longer in the grave, but that he is raised in glory, in power, seating at the right hand of the throne of God. And because he has conquered death, sin, and Satan, when we pray in the name of the Lord, that's pretty confident. That's a lot of power to pray in the name of the Jesus, the King who has conquered all things, the God who's created everything. And so often, if you're like me, we just say in Jesus' name, it's kind of it's the, it's the thing we add on to a prayer at the very end. Do you believe the power that is in that prayer in the name of Jesus? This is confidence. And this confidence that James has is because Jesus has risen from the grave. And his resurrection ushered in God's kingdom power. And his resurrection launched the new creation so that Paul writes, anyone who trusts in Jesus, you're a new creature. The power of God now lives in you changing the way you think, changing the way you act. God loves you and he changes you. You're a new creation. And this confidence, this power, leads James to write in verse 15. Look what he says. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. James is so confident in the power of God that he can write, pray in faith, and Jesus can save those who are sick. And the, and the word save here uh, in this context is used in the sense of physical healing. Not salvation, although that word can also be used in salvation. But what James is really talking about here is praying in faith in that confidence is that God can heal the sick and he can raise them up from their sickness. That's pretty confident. Now, I want us to be careful. I want to just bring this up. This verse has caused a ton of controversy. And there's been a lot of religious movements that have moved out of this verse. And so I, I wanna ask you, I'd love to get your feedback. Is James just giving a blanket guarantee that if I pray in faith in the name of the Lord that there will always be healing? Is that what James is saying? What are your thoughts? No, no. Why, why would you say that? 
Other thoughts? Do you agree with John? Thoughts? Do you guys agree with David? Agree with John? Other thoughts? Yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and God gave him 15 more years, right? Right. Yeah. Right, right. Right. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. Great. John, saw your hand up, bro. Great, great example. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting, and those are great thoughts, and there's, there's probably a lot of different thoughts even in the room. <laughs> you know, you might uh, be keeping silent because you're like, uh, I disagree, or maybe you're not sure, but here, here's the thought. Here's the, th- and, and I would agree with all of you, when we are called to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done here on earth as is in heaven where he is at, that that is not just a spiritual prayer, but that there is an actual physical reality to God that you would bring restoration to all things. And I think what James is saying here, and again, I I read seven commentaries this week. Three of them disagreed with the other four on what this is actually supposed to mean. But here's where I I think where James is going, is that James, remember, the brother of Jesus, is so confident in the power of Jesus to heal and to bring restoration that he can say, we can pray for God's healing and believe it to happen. And I believe that God can heal I believe that. And I believe that's what James is saying, that he is so confident that physical healing can come. But there's a couple things we need to realize as that even when healing doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have a lack of faith. Get that. Because people will take this scripture and they will twist it and they will say healing didn't come because you didn't believe enough. I don't think that's what James is preaching here. But there is a sense that we can have confidence in the name of Jesus who conquered the grave, who desires healing, that he will bring healing. And it may be now or it may be later. And it may be here on earth or it may be in the new creation. And there is that tension The goal here is that do you have such a confidence in the power of Jesus to bring healing in your loved one's life, in your friend's life? And here's the thing that has been so convicting for me is that how often I pray and I don't believe that. I don't believe that the power of God is just that, power to bring healing if he so desires. To pray your kingdom come and your will be done is to pray, God, you do what you want to do. I believe you can do it. I've seen it. I've read the stories and I know, Jesus, that you can and you will. I don't know how, I don't know when, but I'm confident that you will do that, that needs to shape us. That needs to shape us. And knowing that praying in the name of Jesus brings not only physical healing, but it also brings forgiveness of sins. And that's what James writes at the very last part of this verse in 15. He says, and if he has committed sins, he will be healed. He will be, and, and the idea is that there are some sins that we commit that cause us to be unwell. Scripture talks about it. And I think there's real quickly, just to, uh, just to give you uh, two different ways of, of seeing this, is there's, there's a, what theologians call the orig- original sin. That when Adam sinned 
against God in the garden, that now that sin hijacked God's good creation. But there's also the personal sin that we commit when we say, God, I just don't wanna follow you. I don't wanna do what you are asking me to do. There's that rebellion. And so that type of sin can cause physical illness. We see that even in the scriptures. King David, when he decided to take Bathsheba, another man's wife, to be his own, David pens Psalm 32. You should go back and read that, where he says, God, when I hid my sin from you, and he was referring to that sin with Bathsheba, I was wasting away. And the Hebrew there is talking about a physical ailment. And so James is saying not all personal sins cause sickness, but it could. But the beauty of this is, as we pray to God, we trust in Jesus' name, he can not only bring physical healing, he can forgive us for our sins. So Jesus brings physical as well as spiritual healing. This is the confidence we're called to have. And it's a confidence that leads us into what James writes in verse 16, that we are to confess our sins to one another. We're to pray for one another. That's confidence. And let me ask you, family, are you doing that? I mean, one of the things that Sarah just even shared with us is we can be praying for one another. We can be praying for ourselves. These requests, praying that God would bring healing to the broken. And guys, I know that there's a ton of us in here not physically well. I haven't been well. And I'm still waiting for God to bring complete healing that I believe it, and it may not be now. But are we praying for one another? Are we coming to each other and saying, I've blown it, I need God's grace this week. Pray for me. This is confidence that we can come as family in the name of the Lord and trust that God will bring and will do his will your kingdom come, your will be done. It takes faith, right? And the reality of it is that sometimes our faith wavers. And we say, God, are you, are you really there? God, do you care? Are you, are, can I really trust you? Has anybody ever had those thoughts before? I mean, you're, you're not alone. I mean, listen to some of the greatest theologians that have ever been alive, no longer with us, but some things that they've said about this. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an English preacher in the mid-1900s, said that everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. Alexander White, a Scottish preacher, said there is nothing that we are so bad at all our days is prayer. And listen to this one, Thomas Shepard, an American Puritan pastor said, there are times in my life when I would rather die than pray. You ever felt like that? You ever felt that praying is difficult? Prayer, as Andrew Murray said, is not only the spiritual pulse of our life, but prayer is also the native language of faith. Prayer is the language 
of faith. And so when our faith is strong, then we look at prayer as not a burden, but a joy, right? But if your faith is faltering, then maybe the last thing you ever wanna do is pray. You don't feel like it, you question it. And so if prayer is the language of faith and we struggle to pray, it's possible that we have a faith problem. And we all struggle with that from time to time. What was really helpful for me is how, how, you know, to think through how do I then become more of a praying person? Um, I learned this years ago, and we got a slide, I just wanna put that up there. Um, I don't remember where I heard it, but think of prayer as a train, okay? Prayer as a train, and so faith is the engine of prayer, okay? Faith is the engine of prayer. And God's promises is the fuel for our engine. And the rails that a train actually travels on is the discipline of prayer. And so what do you need to get your engine going? You need the fuel of God's promises to get you going. It's not discipline. The the train track, the rails don't actually move the train. It's the truth of God's word. The promises of who he is and what he has done that fuels our faith. That then ignites us to be a people of prayer. And here is the response to a lack of prayer. Pray, pray. If you're struggling to believe, then ask God to help you. See, here's the deal. You cannot muster up faith on your own. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that we have been saved by grace, through faith, by means of faith, not because of anything that we've done, it's the gift of God. Faith is God's gift to us. You can't become more of a praying person because you put an app on your phone that, that gives you three times a day, remember to pray. That's not going to change you. What's going to change you is the grace of God, the faith that God pours into your life. It is his gift. And if you are struggling, family, pray, God, give it to me. Are you praying that? Prayer is confident that God will give us the faith to be a praying people. Prayer also is for the imperfect. And James tells us this story in verses 17 through 18 of Elijah, who was a man, verse 17, with a nature like ours. And you can read the story of Elijah in the Old Testament, 1 Kings, primarily 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. And kids, if you might know the story that Elijah was a prophet, which means that he heard God's words, God spoke to him, and he was to tell the people of God all the words of God telling them to obey. And a lot of times, most of the time, they didn't want to listen to Elijah. But he had a nature like ours that means that he sinned like we did. He wasn't perfect. 
neither are we. And if you read the story of Elijah, there's times, especially in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, where he is confident in prayer. And he's saying, God, I trust you. And then the next chapter, he's asking God to take his life. He's depressed. He's miserable. He feels like a failure. All the spectrum of life, confidence, all the way down to the other part of life, I'm feeling depressed, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling discouraged. Elijah felt that too. But if you read that story of Elijah, any time he felt that, whether he was suffering or whether he was cheerful, he was always praying, was always in a posture of prayer. And sometimes that prayer was, God, I am so confident in you. And other times it was, God, help me. Prayer is not for the perfect. But it's the imperfect praying to the perfect God. And last, prayer is missional. Prayer is missional. And James concludes and he says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death. It will cover a multitude of sins. See, the kind of seems like an abrupt ending. It's like, where did James tack that on? But it's all connected. Because here's the idea. When you understand that prayer is the place where heaven and earth overlap, then you realize there's work we are called to do for God. There's disciples to be made. There's brothers and sisters who have wandered away from the truth who need to be brought back to God. And so prayer fuels us for God's mission to see all things restored, to see fellow humans restored to a right relationship with God so that if a not yet believer comes to know Jesus or if a brother and sister who's been wandering from the truth come back to God, we see in that moment a little bit of God's heaven here on earth. We get just a little bit of taste of God's new world breaking through. And we can't be God's missional people unless we're a praying people. Because we can't save. The only one that can save is Jesus Christ. The one who hung on a cross, that place where heaven and earth meet. The place where God's world broke into ours to bring new life and forgiveness. And that's what James has been saying the entire letter. Everything he's told us, become whole, become perfect, watch your speech, be generous with your money, consider the poor, seek social justice, be a people of prayer. Everything we have been going through the last several months flows from the fact that Jesus Christ is the only one that can bring new life and forgiveness. That faith in the flesh really means faith in Christ, the only one that can bring new life and forgiveness. May we be not only a people shaped by prayer, but a people shaped by the good news of Jesus. Father, wherever we find ourselves this morning, God, meet us there. Give us faith, God. Give us joy 
And God, may we be a good news people going into all the world to tell them what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.